Welcome to the Progressive Money Canada podcast. Worldwide, countries and their citizens are experiencing historic levels of financial debt and a lack of money. Is all this inescapable or is there an underlying systemic factor that we can change? Join your hosts, Ed and Jeff, to explore solutions for correcting our monetary system, the most underappreciated topic of our time. This is episode four. What can we do about it? Let's talk about the PMC transition plan. In the last episode, we talked about why it's a problem to allow privately owned commercial banks the privilege of creating almost all the money in circulation. So now we're going to get into the solution. So before we go into the details of Jeff's plan, what I'd like to do is ask him about the political question. In other words, is it your intention, Jeff, to have a political system where, as the Austrians might suggest, the banking service should be open to the free market? Or is it the case that you want to have absolute central control? So it's it's not a complete control with regard to distribution, but it is complete control about where money is originally created. I can get more into that after the transition, how we would gradually pull that extraordinary privilege away from privately owned commercial banks. For you and I to do like a regular transaction in a bank, nothing would change. Um, but where commercial banks got their money from, that would change. So they would have to borrow it from the Bank of Canada. The money supply would be controlled by, you know, mandates from the people through referendums. Uh, that's one possibility. That kind of comes after the transition. That should be ensconced in law. Is, is that what you're suggesting? Yes. If it turns out that it becomes a reality then textbooks would be generally true when they talk about banks being intermediaries because then they would actually be just moving money from one place to another. They wouldn't be creating it. What's the best way to lay out the explication of your system? Okay, the actual PMC transition proposal is kind of what we have now, but it's really empowering the Bank of Canada to expand its balance sheet. We talked about that in previous episodes. That's Part of the money creation process is the original expansion of the balance sheet. So the Bank of Canada could do that, and it already does to some degree. It usually absorbs, like in normal times, it usually uh, acquires approximately 13% of all government uh, bond issues. So what PMC proposes in the transition part is, okay, let's pick one particular sector of government spending that we want to try this experiment I suggest our medical system. So we pay about 22% in federal taxes every single year. So the first step would be specifically, okay, let's create money for that 22% tax bracket, put it into government accounts that service the medical industry, and then run that over a two-year period to make sure that, okay, how is this going to affect the economy, value of the dollar, all the other complications that may arise from you know changing the system. And I kind of picked that particular sector because it's about a fifth of the amount of federal taxes we pay. So the, there's two benefits right away. Okay, you're going you're gonna to save on taxation and you're going to have guaranteed funding for a medical system. That will be increasing the money supply because now you've got 22% extra in your pocketbook that you can now spend on whatever you wish. 
So what you're proposing is instead of funding the medical sector through taxation and borrowing from banks, as the government normally does, we simply create money. Let them create the money to fund this entire sector. This way we can implement the PMC plan one sector at a time and see what the results are. Yes. We should go to the question of inflation because that will be the immediate objection of anyone hearing this. They'll say, well, that's going to be highly inflationary to simply create money out of nothing and (sighs) injecting it into the, the medical sector. The new money that's created for medical services, that's not inflationary whatsoever. Why is it not inflationary? Because all it's doing is replacing the the money that was created through taxation or whatever. But the second aspect of it could be inflationary. So it's that 22% that people have now have in their pockets. Now, it depends on where they actually spend that money. If it's for productive enterprises, investments, something like that, then it's not inflationary. They may save that money, too, which would not be inflationary. This is something why you want to transition and see how much it actually affects inflation. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about what inflation really is and what causes it. And I think we're going to be talking about that in the next episode. For example, what's actually causing our current inflation is easily measurable. The main drivers of inflation, the current inflation are really energy prices, supply chain disruptions. I can give you all those numbers in the next episode. So almost none of it had to do with the CERB benefits that were provided by the government. To approach persuading and convincing the players involved to conduct this experiment, how would you proceed? First, through education like this, people have to understand, you know, what the real causes of inflation are and not just grab onto this talking point that every time the government spends, it's inflationary. People have such a a misunderstanding of how our current monetary system works. They compare government financing with their own finances, whereas they have to actually do stuff to make money. And they don't ever think about the origins of it. So education is the first part. In a historical sense, every real substantial change generally comes from the bottom up. So we have to get numbers. We have to get people that are interested in the topic and want to advocate for its use. But, of course, there's also activism, which I am reluctant to get involved in. I'll definitely support it. Um, So basically, I'm providing the information and hopefully uh, people will grab onto this concept and roll with it. Um, But it's something that does take a little bit of uh, mental investment. I mean, this thing just doesn't come to you automatically. It's a difficult concept to convey to the public. I still uh, am at a loss for why it's so it just doesn't go anywhere, it seems. But that's how we have to do it. There was a publication for the proposal for a PMC transition plan that was accepted by the, the Federal Financing Committee last year. It never got a second reading, but that is something that at least put a bug in their ear. We've talked to a couple of politicians uh, that are interested in the concept. I think it could become big once people really understand how it works. Um, then I can't see how anybody would object to it. It's not a huge leap because... The Bank of Canada already does this to some degree. It goes to our point in a previous episode where we talked about do central bankers from other countries collude? Well, I wouldn't say they collude, but they definitely communicate with each other and they have to all kind of follow the same rules because our money system is not just local. The way the transition proposals were, as we've already talked about, we'll just pick one sector. 
already we can do that without changing any existing laws. All we have to do is get a mandate from Parliament to do it. And I'll explain a little bit of the process. So when the Bank of Canada acquires securities from the government directly, and that money goes into the uh, CRF, which is the account that the government holds at the Bank of Canada, it has to have a, a bond that sits on its asset side and the money increases on the the other side. So, But the Bank of Canada could, if we did change it, if we did actually change the law, the Bank of Canada could just simply create that money debt-free without it having to be on a balance sheet or ledger or have a debt instrument tied to it. But that's another problem with our system. Anytime new money is created, there has to be a debt instrument tied to it. Whereas the Bank of Canada could just type numbers into a database and put it on a ledger sheet. $5 billion that are going to go into the medical system. So that's another possibility. But people can't get outside this box that we're trapped in where all money has to have some kind of debt instrument attached to it. Hence the name money is debt. When the securities are initially issued, money is created for the government. There's a video that I produced called Modern Money Forget Theory 2. I explain how government financing works, and I show actual data where the Bank of Canada has created money for the government. And in return, they get a bond. Is that correct? correct? Yes. But I thought you said that the Bank of Canada doesn't operate on the basis of acquiring assets for itself. Well, it doesn't. Any kind of profit that the bank makes, that's another thing which makes it unique and possible is that the Bank of Canada does not hold retained earnings. And that's what really makes the distinction between it and other financial institutions. It is not designed to make a profit. So even the interest that it makes on that bond that it created to create money for the government, any of that interest that's excess outside of the operational costs of the bank itself go right back to the government. But the strange thing is that that interest is paid by us, the taxpayer. Well, but it goes right back to the taxpayer. Right. So, so there's no point in it. So, so, so that's the thing is it's, <laughs> it's again, it's the whole system is, uh, you could almost call it redundant. We could make a new system, but, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Instead of the Bank of Canada issuing credit directly to the uh, Treasury Department, to government, in exchange for a bond, which is nonsensical, you're suggesting you're suggesting that they should simply inject money directly into the treasury for a given purpose. Is that right? Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. And it's simple, really. It's very it's simple. Concept. It's very simple. So you have a public utility, a public institution called the Bank of Canada, which is wholly owned by the government itself, um, not a private institution, uh, creating money out of nothing, which is their legislated right. Uh, although you can't find the legislation. <laughs> and, and you have the, the closest you can get to it is the Bank of Canada Act. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what they do is they, they create a certain amount of money in this PMC proposal to inject directly into the federal government uh, treasury department to fund a given sector. Let's say the medical care sector to replace the normal process of budgeted money, which is taxation money and borrowed money. Correct? Correct. Okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I kind of like that idea. And the fact that you're proposing 
an incremental change. It's encouraging to me. I'll tell you why. Because um, I've got some background in program implementation. And one thing that never works is when you try to make an administrative change all as a blanket solution, it never works. You always have to go gradually and incrementally. We'll see how it progresses. The reason I was hesitating is because it runs directly in the face of what they conceive to be their mandate. And you've already pointed out that the people operating in the system already have allegiance to a a globalist mandate. They're taking their instructions and their policies from the central banking network, the Bank of International Settlements. These are more minor, though, than compared to what direction they get from the actual government. Another suggestion in the PMC proposal is that the board of directors could be restructured. I would even rewrite it as far as as how they vet the people that uh, become members, uh, like the board of directors, for example, because it it really is for the benefit of the public, the benefit of the province. So each board director represents a province or a territory. So each one of those is, you know, has a say in the direction which the Bank of Canada goes. And they come from very disciplines. They're all accomplished people. But I would put in a couple of other requirements, like they have to really understand what are the causes and effects of inflation, and they have to understand why they're there to create money for the public good. So those are a couple of requirements that I would definitely want to put in there. And I'd also want to change the amount of time that they actually hold the positions, because right now, the board of directors, it's really it's just a temporary position and they'll only meet maybe a couple times a year. They're, they're mostly responsible for the general administration of the bank, but they do have an advisory capacity. And that's the whole point of them being there is that they sort of represent their province. So they tell the, the governor of the Bank of Canada, OK, these are the problems we have in B.C. We need funding here. We need funding there. Can the Bank of Canada do anything about it? I would say that they should have like a full-time position because right now it's only for a three-year position, but I think it should be the same as uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada as a seven-year position. And I think that they should have more benefits and more income too so that they're, they're secure. It's like a secure position and they could be voted back in. The governor of the Bank of Canada, he's the one that has uh, a main control of what direction the Bank of Canada goes in. However, the board of directors, they're the ones who actually vote. And that is really people that represent uh, the different provinces. And it goes to that point again about, yeah, but these people are all kind of influenced by money and they're successful people. The way they vet them and how they try to eliminate conflicts of interest in in the positions that they hold at the Bank of Canada is, is really well done. Uh, but a lot of these people, like uh, people in economics, uh, traditional economics that to the highest levels of academia don't even understand how the money creation process works and don't understand the impact it has on economy, they're in that same position. The education phase of your plan really extends to the players in the system, not just the general public. Correct. We're trying to talk to politicians and we're trying to educate the public which is, you know, a twofold approach. All right. So so why is it that you would not advocate to uh, set up or support alternative community currency operations and have them run alongside and eventually replace the uh, standard system? Well, that's a good question. However, you would end up with the same system. <laughs> so you'd end up in the same situation that we're in now 
where you'd have like a central bank. There would have to be a defining authority if you decided to all use the same currency, whether it's alternative or not. And I see we already have that. It's all in place. All we have to do is expand the use of it. Another thing about the PMC transition is very simple and it's easy to understand for anybody who wants to put the effort into, you know, listening to the video on the homepage of PMC, for example. You know, local currencies, yeah, they can be successful, but there has to be trust inscribed. Mm-hmm. I take your point. You could point to a number of examples. So let's say there was the Bristol dollars, there was the, uh, the Mountain Hours, there's the Let's system itself. And every time I look into any one of these examples, what I find is they had a period of successful practice, but they seem to have dwindled. They don't have any online presence that's really current, or they failed and they're transitioning to something else, something like that. So it's always a question of uh, acceptance and take-up. And uh, I think your point is, we've already got a, a system of currency, medium of exchange, already in place. Why not just use it properly? That's correct. Exactly. <laughs> so instead of, a, instead of letting a, a profiteer create all the money, let's, let's create it for ourselves. I'll go back to being the devil's advocate for a second because objections are arising in my mind. I can hear already Michael Hudson, and this is almost a direct quote. He said, listen, guys, these institutions are not reformable. We are beating our heads against the wall. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) We have have public. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the public that has all these incorrect notions about what money is, and it's taught to the highest levels of academia. So you've got that to deal with. And then, of course, the corporate elites, the people at the top of the financial pyramid, they don't want to change the system because the system is so advantageous to them as it currently exists. So there's no doubt that you have all these obstacles. So I'm not going to sweat about it. I'm going to say, okay, we could do this, but it would take numbers. We need to get people involved. This is not going to happen by itself. However, What's encouraging is that the Bank of Canada is already doing it to some degree and has for years. Okay, let's just expand that. Okay, let's experiment with it. Let's let's stop experimenting with things like derivatives and all kinds of other ridiculous financial instruments, these mathematical models that even the people that are selling them don't understand. Let's stop with that. Let's experiment with something that has some kind of valid reason So let me ask you about Ellen Brown. Offline, you mentioned to me that you had a discussion with Ellen Brown. Your description of the PMC transition reminds me of her plan, the state bank, and the shining example there is the Bank of North Dakota. The result is they are extraordinarily successful in terms of their socioeconomic indicators, uh, low inflation, low unemployment, low default rate. Mm -hmm. Ellen has succeeded in establishing the Public Banking Institute Do you take Ellen Brown's example as inspiration? Yes, but I think that money is still issued as a debt instrument at a low interest rate or something. So it's not debt free. Um, So that's one kind of objection that I had with her. But the successful implementation of the North Dakota Bank, yeah, that's a great model. So that shows you right there that, yeah, okay, money creation. Okay, so there's a debt instrument attached to it. So the transition plan with uh, PMC also as a debt instrument. So we just continue doing business kind of the same way that we're doing now. Um, and then we'll expand on it um, as people get used to the idea. 
There's a distinction between issuing a debt instrument at a high interest rate and simply charging a nominal rate of interest as a service charge. I agree. But eventually we would like to experiment with, the, okay, let's create money debt-free. Let's not attach a debt instrument to it. And then again, start to pull back the financial sector because it really has nothing to do with the real economy. And it kind of sucks uh, a lot of the potential energy or money creation um, from productive enterprises into speculation, which is the, the end game. In your incremental plan, what you're doing is gradually removing the, the public infrastructure of money creation away from the private sector and relocate it back into the public sector under law. Is that correct? Yes. Are there any other aspects to the PMC transition plan that you would like to discuss in today's episode? What I would recommend is people go to the PMC homepage. It will take maybe 15 minutes to read the page, watch the videos. So the transition video is actually the first one as you scroll down the page. That's the only thing that I'd like to add so people can get a grasp right away of what the plan is. All right. Thanks, Jeff. I think that's a wrap for today. I'll give a quick summary of some of the main points that we discussed today. The PMC transition proposal is that the Bank of Canada could expand its balance sheet by funding one particular sector, for example, medical care, which consumes 22% of federal taxes. If this was carried out, you would simultaneously fund the medical sector and increase the money supply by virtue of the 22% tax savings. Funding the medical sector directly would not be inflationary, but the result of people having more money at their disposal, the tax savings, that's open to question with respect to its effect upon inflation. It would depend upon people's spending habits. How would we persuade players in the system to take on this plan? Education is the first priority. Political change will be necessary. The crucial, unique feature of the PMC plan is that the Bank of Canada could simply type the numbers on a keyboard and establish money in the government's account without the need for the federal government to repay either principal or interest. This would replace the conventional practice of funding the budget only through taxes and borrowing. Jeff suggests that you go to the PMC homepage, take 15 or 20 minutes to read the material and watch the videos, transitioning to a better money system and banking for a better world. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe, check the show notes, and visit our website, progressivemoney.ca.